Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. The Visibility Factor podcast is brought to you in part by the 90-Day Visibility Breakthrough Accelerator Program. Do you believe deep down inside that you can have a bigger career, but you don't know how to get there? You can keep doing what you're doing, but what if there is a better way that could accelerate your progress? This 90-day program is a powerful experience that is unique to you and provides dedicated time to focus on your specific challenge. It gives you the time to develop big ideas and plans to execute them, including the tools, resources, and motivation needed for success. Hundreds of clients have used this same program to take them to the next level in their career and to create a better life. Join me in a 90-day experience that focuses on challenges like creating a strategic plan, how to lead an organizational change, or prepare for a career transition. This dedicated time will help you see new possibilities, recognize your strengths, and take away key insights that can be leveraged immediately. Are you ready to create a breakthrough for yourself? If you're interested in learning more, visit susanmbarber.com forward slash visibility breakthrough accelerator for more information and to sign up for the program. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. This is Sue Barber, your host. I am so excited today to bring my guest to you, Christy Ellinger. She is a podcast host. She is working full-time in the world of banking, and she's got her own business, and she's doing some great things around communication that I cannot wait for her to share with you. So welcome to the show, Christy. Sue, I'm so thrilled to be here. For a couple of reasons, but I will say I listen to a lot of podcasts, including yours, and you have one of the smoothest podcast voices to listen to, which I really appreciate. So it's a little intimidating (laughs) for me, but I'm excited to be here. Oh my goodness. Now, I was on your podcast, so uh, we know that you are a pro at this. So, well, thank you for that. That's nice to hear, though. I would love it if you would do an introduction of yourself and tell people all about the things that you're doing. Sure. Like many people, I am a multi-passionate human, so this introduction can look and feel very different depending on where I am and who I'm speaking with. But I will say I have worked in the banking industry for over 20 years, and in that journey, what I've come to realize is that our ideas, the most innovative ideas that we have are really useless if we can't communicate them in a way that inspires other people into action. And what I found in my career journey is I was a pretty strong communicator. And I got about halfway into my career and took a role, a strategy role, where I had to convince all of these people that I didn't directly manage to go along with my ideas. And all of the sudden, my ability to communicate, it was like, poof, it was a whole different ball game. So figuring out how to create the narrative of your idea and how to change the story, not the story, not the foundation of the story, but the way you tell the story, depending on who's in front of you, was a really advanced communication skill set that nobody 
taught me directly, I had to learn it by doing, and it was really painful. And so as I grew in my career, what I realized is that there's a real gap in terms of workplace communication training. There's a lot of sort of off-the-shelf things that your HR organization may be providing to you, but that stuff's not really... um, it's not tailored to what you actually need or what you're actually going through. And then it's not till you get to a very senior executive level that anyone's willing to pay for a coach to to really give you that in-depth. So I found that there was a gap. And so I was inspired to start my own business, really helping to fill that gap and provide much more tailored workplace communication training for people who are sort of in that messy mid-career space where... Um, where it's just gotten super complex. So that is that is my business, but I'm also just super passionate about development. So I co-host a podcast mm-hmm. with my friend Danielle. It's called The Opposite of Small Talk, where we cover a really wide variety of topics and just enjoy being curious and learning new things from amazing people like yourself. What an amazing intro. Uh, first of all, I love that. And um, so Full transparency, Christy and I are in a mastermind group together, and so we get to see each other uh, every other week and sometimes every week when we do some co-working sessions together. And I have learned a lot from you about almost like the directness of an importance of communication, right? I think a lot of people kind of don't want to hurt people's feelings. They kind of maybe don't say things in the way that might upset someone, and so they just don't do a good job because the other person can't hear it. So how much of that is interfering in your mind with communication today in the workplace? Oh, everywhere. It absolutely, and avoiding the difficult conversations is a real problem. And I think, fortunately, we have some voices out there in the marketplace that are really explaining to us that in in work, in life, in leadership, clear is kind. That's something that you'll often hear Brene Brown saying. Um, It's something that Mm -hmm. Kim Scott has advocated for in her book, Radical Candor. And it is the truth. And the reality is the more that you communicate that way, the easier it gets. So it because you learn mm-hmm. the skills and the way to do it for yourself that's most natural, and you realize that it what may be uncomfortable in the moment is ultimately to the better good of your relationship with that person and the effectiveness of the team. Mm-hmm. So when you were going through this experience, you mentioned how it was something you had to learn for yourself. What were like the first few things you tried to help yourself move in that direction? <laughs> So I I would say my best learning opportunity, my best learning was through doing. So, and where I really saw that I had a gap was when I recognized that every individual comes to the table with their own perspective that is shaped by their experiences, by what they encounter in their work life. And so you really have to try to understand the other person if you're going to be an effective communicator. And so when you think about communication, your communication isn't for you, it's for the other person. And it's to your benefit to take sort of ownership of making sure that they understand 
And the best way to do that is to is to really kind of get to know them a little bit better and understand where their perspectives might be interfering with sort of buying into what you're trying to say or understanding truly what it is you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of interesting that we can communicate it all very effectively with all of that stuff happening in our heads and the stories and the experiences. It took me a long time to realize that too. And as I talk to more people, it's like this light bulb moment when I share that because nobody thinks about that. They just operate on automatic pilot yeah, for the most part. For sure. And let me just add something else. Sometimes it's just about increasing the frequency of your communication. Sometimes we under communicate because we think, oh, they know that or they get it, right? Or we think it's not important. So here's a great example. Let's say something happens and you need to cancel a meeting, okay? You send that cancellation, but you don't think to give the person any context. You're just canceling it because there was something else that happened and you had to make a move. That person on the other end of that cancellation is gonna make up a story in their head around what is the meaning behind this. And I think in a corporate environment, we have to be really careful with that, especially with the power hierarchy, right? Um, People who are in a lower power hierarchy than we are, assign so much meaning to every little thing that we do. It it really is important to almost over-explain sometimes so that people don't make up stories that are have nothing to do with what actually happened. 100% agree with that. I was just talking to somebody uh, before I got on the call about the stories that might be created by his team because of some of the things that he was or was not doing. And I... I think that happened the most, especially during reorganizations. Uh, Mm. There's just a whole lot of fear and concern about my job. And if someone's not telling me anything, I make up a story and assume all of these other things are going to happen, which may not even be true at all. And then you spend a ton of time undoing all of that because you didn't communicate. And oftentimes as leaders, we want to wait to communicate until we have all the answers. And mm-hmm. I mean, this thing is meant, you talk about reorganization. Reorganization is messy. It takes a long time to figure out the answers. And there's so much value in getting in front of the team and saying, look, I don't have all the answers here. Here are some of the things that were ways that we're working to figure it out. That in and of itself is a perfectly valid and actually really important thing to do because it keeps that communication channel open and it gives people opportunity to ask questions and you can learn what they're thinking as you go through this. Yeah, yeah, I have done the same. So I would love to know, let's switch topics a little bit here, but I would love to know how you're managing your life working full-time in a bank, (laughs) having a family, and having a podcast, and having a business. Mm. Like, those are a lot of things all together. So uh, I would love to hear how you're managing and navigating through all of that. Oh, I I love it. It's the work-life balance question. And I hate that (laughs) word balance, man. I, I hate it for so many reasons because the word balance, it can conjure up a couple of different images, right? It can conjure up you're in a yoga pose and you're balancing on one foot. And I don't know about you all, but I fall on my face sometimes when I try to balance on one foot. That's hard. Balance can um, can mean balancing an equation, right? Where there's one right answer for how to do it and there isn't one right answer for how to do it. Um, and then I, I, I think 
my my biggest struggle is that I I just I think we have it all wrong in thinking that things need to be even, right? Like there's a specific mm-hmm. amount of time or energy that I should be spending at work versus at home. And so I really like the phrase work-life harmony. I like work-life mm-hmm. integration. And what I've found is that there are times where work has to take the priority because I have a huge initiative going on and I need to put more time in there than at home. And then there are other times where I need to be more focused at home and, you know, and I need to put work on the back burner or work fewer hours. And so for me, I think the important thing is to make sure that you are the one that's deciding that. Because there is nothing more unsettling than just doing what you think needs to be done and then having it not truly aligned to your values. So make being the one that's making the conscious effort about where you're spending your focus and your time is going to bring the inner peace to be okay with the things that you have to let go. And I think that is the key thing, is being able to let go of the things that you can't do because there will always be more things than there is time. So being able to be okay with not doing a thing or maybe submitting a B performance instead of an A plus performance on something that just needs to get done, I think you've got to make those decisions consciously so that you can be sort of settled within yourself about the decisions that you're making. Mm -hmm. Wow, that makes so much sense because I think we operate from a place of cultural norms of what that should look like, right? Or societal norms or family, you know, expectations. And when that happens, it just causes us so much stress, anxiety to try to be all the things in all the places. And what I love about what you're doing is you have kind of been a really great role model for me, honestly, because of the things that you're doing that I know are passion areas for you, Mm. right? And that you want to keep doing, you don't want to give up any of them. But finding a way to make that work is is something that I think more people would be inspired by for themselves Mm. because it's something they haven't tried before, something they just don't know it's possible. Yeah. So I think you're demonstrating that it's possible. Well, and and let me share too a, a couple of things. One, I would say I am so passionate about the business that I'm building and about the podcast that I'm doing that when I spend time working on that, it gives me energy. It doesn't drain my energy. So people do often ask, like, how do you find the time? And I do spend a decent amount of time doing these things that are quote unquote work. But to me, they they bring me joy, right? So they're the equivalent of what some people might feel after going for a hike or doing some other leisure activity that they really enjoy. Like I get a lot of energy from this right here. So I, I would say that. So it doesn't have to look the way you know, my life looks, you have to find what you're passionate about and what you're interested in and follow that. And then the other thing I want to share is just a story because I think it's a, it's, it really highlights an idea that's important when you're thinking about those norms and how you feel when you can't show up the way you think you're expected to show up. So I had a scenario where my daughter had a, they were doing like a poetry reading for school where all of the kids in her class were reading a poem that they had written and all of the parents were invited. And this was during COVID. And um, so it was all virtual, right? So everybody was participating virtually in Zoom. 
and I had a meeting and I, and I couldn't make it. It was a conflict. And I found out later that she was the only person in her class that didn't have a parent on the call. And that like broke my heart. Now, in the very same day, I had taken the afternoon off. And this was right after the death of George Floyd. And my town was having a protest march. And I took a half day and she and I went and walked in this protest march. And I am 100% confident that she will remember that experience and that day for the rest of her life. And I don't believe that she's going to think twice about the fact that I wasn't there for the poetry reading. So I, I think we really, as humans, have to kind of zoom out and look at the big picture before judging ourselves so harshly about some of these little things. Like, are they are they really the things that, that matter the most or are we assigning more meaning to them than they actually have? So I would just offer that to folks who are feeling that parent guilt when they can't make it to the thing. I'm sure you're doing an excellent job and you've been there when it has mattered to your child. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's also the uh, the parent guilt is a real big thing, especially mom guilt. I think mom guilt is is big, and uh, I love that you you did the other march too because I think it's important for her to see like she can have a voice, right? She can do something different. We talk about visibility, obviously, a lot on this on this podcast, and there are different ways to be visible, and it's not always that you have to speak up, but you can show your your voice and your opinions in different ways, and that's and that's one way to do it. So, you're setting a great example for her of doing different things in different ways. Lo- I hope so. Love that. Love that. So, if we go back into the work world for for a few minutes, there are obviously things that individuals aren't doing maybe strongly enough in communicating. What about from a team perspective, where you have the team dynamics? that sometimes can interfere and the politics of organizations that can interfere. Tell me like some of the things that you've seen and what you've helped people recognize in how to change. Mm. Well, so I'll tell you something that's close to my heart is working in an organization where you work from a remote office or from home while your team may be in person in a quote-unquote headquarters. I think something interesting has happened through this pandemic period. We went from a lot of in-person meetings, right, to a period of time where kind of the the world of meetings was democratized by everyone having to be remote, right? And now we're in this new world where employers are realizing that people want to work from home and they want to offer some flexibility to be able to be at home or in office. So maybe they're offering like a hybrid type of schedule and that kind of thing. And I find that the implementation of a meeting that is hybrid, where you have a group of people that's maybe together in a room and you have other people who are participating remotely, is not what it should be from where we need to be in terms of making sure that our remote colleagues are engaged and involved and visible. And so I think the onus for that is sort of on both sides. It's But as, as a team, I think it's important to find out like what are the norms that you're going to follow to make sure that everyone has the same opportunity 
to be seen and heard in the meeting. And it could be as simple as saying, we're going to use the raise hand feature that's built into our software uh, to know when someone remote would like to ask a question. Because it is really difficult when you're not in the room to be able to interject because you can't use those micro facial expressions that people are going to pick up on. Even if you're on video, people can't pick up on that easily. So so what are sort of the norm, the team norms that, are, that you're going to use to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to speak? That would be maybe an example. I love that. Yeah. And I think leveraging the technology to your advantage, right? Because I have definitely dealt with people, I think when the pandemic first hit, that was one of the first things I heard so much about was, how am I going to be visible? My visibility is walking down to someone's office or walking down the hall or going to someone's desk. And now I can't do that. And now we're all on you know, Zoom or Teams or whatever. And how are we going to navigate that? Yeah, I mean, Sue, I think one of the things that people are absolutely sleeping on that will do wonder for their careers is just having one-on-one virtual coffees mm-hmm. with people. Because that's, that addresses not just that visibility, but also getting to know people and knowing what their interests are and what's going on in their organization. So to the extent that you need to influence without authority, right? We often have to influence other business areas. Being intentional about networking and meeting with those people regularly is really critical to that. And most of us are so focused on the widget of work and getting that widget of work done that we push the networking, internal networking to the side. But the really ironic thing is if you spent a little bit more time doing the networking, the widget of work gets so much easier because you've got all these people that can help you and you know how to kind of navigate. So that's, that's, I would say, something that people are absolutely sleeping on. Yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense. And that's what I've advised too, because there's there's opportunities to speak in a meeting, but maybe minimal, right? And you want them to get to know you. And especially you talked about influence. I think that is a big piece. You want to build that rapport before you need them. You don't want to do it at the moment. Oh, yeah. where it's like, oh my gosh, I need your help. <laughs> they're like, who are you? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. What mm-hmm. do you do? I don't understand who you are. <laughs> yeah. And, and there actually is um, something in psychology called um, the mere exposure effect. And what it says mm. is that as humans, we are um, we don't like things that are unknown because that's risky. And so the more we interact with a person or a thing, the more we gravitate towards them. And so there's a reason why networking works is because the, if people know you, they're going to trust you um, and be willing to kind of go to you for different things. So there actually is some psychology behind doing that. Yeah, I definitely didn't realize that early on in my career. I remember um, going to corporate <laughs> and I came from the field in sales and then I came into corporate and I was learning how to work in corporate. And one of the things that I realized is you had to have the pre-meeting before the meeting. And then sometimes you had to have the post-meeting. And then sometimes you'd have to all meet again. Uh, It's just, it's a kind of, a lot of time. Obviously, I kept thinking, why can we not just make a decision? Why are we spending all this time having these meetings? But that's why. Because you need to Mm -hmm. influence people to have a good meeting, ultimately the end of the day. Well, and also it can shape your proposal. Like if I'm coming Mm -hmm. up with a proposal, um, I could learn something new by talking to my marketing partner that would help me realize, oh, if I made this small change, it's much better to ladder up to the overall marketing strategy for the company. So it, it really does make your 
actual proposal or idea stronger when you include other people in the discussion along the way. Yep, I totally agree. So if you think about any of the experiences that you've had recently with any of the teams that you've been working with, what have been some of their biggest challenges in terms of communication? Hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the F word. Um, (laughs) Feedback. Feedback. (laughs) Feedback. (laughs) It's like... It's like someone will be underperforming and everybody knows it but that person, right? So I I feel strongly that our our managers everywhere aren't giving feedback as often enough um, and coaching. And so there's a, there's a couple different factors for that. It takes time to coach talent, right? It it does take time to explain to someone why their presentation deck is ineffective and how they can modify it to make it better for the audience. Like that does take time and energy, but it's an investment that pays off in spades going forward because the next deck you get is going to be closer to what you need. Um, but for whatever reason, look, you mentioned um, everybody having their own sort of personal experiences that influence kind of the way they are. Like I grew up in a household where like you didn't debate, you didn't challenge authority, like conflict was seen as a bad thing, right? So feedback often in people's minds is seen as a bad thing. And so People don't give it. People don't. Anyway, so that I think is a, is a really big problem. And the solution is to do it more often to make it not such a big deal. You know, like it's not a, a complete failure and you're getting fired. If you did something, it's, it's an opportunity for you to change it for next time. And so I think people just need more practice on how to say it um, in a way that's going to work and not. I think some of it is like they don't want to trigger a response in the other person either. Right. And then how do you manage that? I think if you can normalize doing it regularly, like so for me um, in my work life, Everybody knows that after a big meeting, I'm going to call you afterwards and say, how do you think that went? And that's going to be the opportunity for both of us, not just to make sure that we all heard the same things about what we decided and what's next, but also to say, what could we have done better? Like, was there anything we didn't anticipate, et cetera? And because I do that so regularly, people know to expect it. They're not uncomfortable by it. They're not, you know, they're not nervous about what I'm going to say. They know it's all on this road of continuous improvement. So I think that's the most um, pervasive thing that I see um, is maybe a lack of um, a lack of feedback. And some of it comes down to have we not really trained people on on the how to give feedback? Um, It's really it can be very, very simple. Yeah. Do you have a, like a framework that you use to teach people? If you'd be willing to share that, that would be awesome. Absolutely. And I would love to take credit for it, but it's not mine. It comes from the Center for Creative Leadership and it's called SBI, which stands for Situation Behavior Impact. So the idea here is to make sure that you're taking out any um, emotion and personalization from what you're describing, um, but you would first name the specific situation that something happened in. So Sue, in the staff meeting last week, so you're you're naming a very specific instance, and then the B stands for behavior. Uh, you turned off your camera when I went to give my update on the call. So that's the behavior. 
And then I would say the impact. That made me feel like you weren't paying attention to what I had to say. Was that your intention? And then the hardest part is you have to be quiet and listen to what the other person says. So situation behavior impact and then complete silence and listen to what they have to say. And I would say, go into it with a sense of curiosity and an openness that things might not be what they seem, right? Sue may tell, may tell me, look, my kid walked into the room and their hand was gushing with a cut and I needed to go find a Band-Aid. So you're right, I did miss a portion of your presentation, uh, you know, and, and whatever, but there's a logical explanation. It's not that she was trying to undermine me, you know, in, in what I was saying, whatever it is. So situation behavior impact is the framework that I like. I love that. I, I use that too uh, in some workshops and I actually use a clip from the office of how to give Michael feedback, uh, you know, the leader in the office, the uh, Willy Wonka episode where he's hiding the golden ticket because he's asking people for ideas and then he shuts them down immediately and they don't want to give ideas anymore. So I make them pretend to be his manager. <gasps> like, what kind of feedback would you give to Michael using SBI? And it's really fun because it's a fun. Most people yeah. love the office anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a cool way to put them in that position of, you know, that was not a great experience for those people working for him. And how can you make that clear to him? So that's just, yeah, I love SBI. I think it's really great. I love that exercise. I might have to think about, uh, there's probably a lot of office clips that would be oh, good examples yeah. <laughs> of what not to do. So I might need to exactly. mine that for some, uh, yeah, some yeah. things. Use it, take, take whatever from that uh, you would like. So we talk a lot about speaking up in, in work situations. What would you say are your kind of top three things that you would share with people in terms of how to speak up? Yeah. So I've come to realize that there is both the need to have the right mindset and the right skill set. And so the work that I do in teaching workshops is always about the skill set and the tactical, practical things that you can do. But I don't want to underestimate the importance of your mindset and believing in the value of sharing your point of view. And so it's not just about visibility, right? Which you are more visible when you speak up in meetings, but it's about what you can contribute. And that's regardless of what level in the organization you are. I believe that oftentimes more junior colleagues will not speak up because they are not the end decision maker. And so they think their voice doesn't matter. But what I would argue is that if you're the most junior person in the room, you may be the closest person to the work which means that you have a perspective that none of these senior executives that you're in the room with have. Like they don't have a way of knowing it. They're not down in the weeds. So mindset is, hey, if I don't say this thing, they're not gonna know. And what they do with that information, whether it changes their mind or not, you don't always have control over that, but know that your voice is important. So mindset is is sort of the first part. But then skill set is the other one. And here's the thing. Off the cuff doesn't mean off the top of your head. We often sort of put on a pedestal these people who seem to be able to answer questions so eloquently. And it, the reality is, it's not necessarily that they're just born with this innate skill. Like they've practiced and they may be prepared in ways that you haven't. So what I want people to know that being able to speak eloquently in meetings 
is a skill and skills get better with practice. So what are the ways that you can prepare for this off the cuff speaking? Because the majority of speaking you do at work isn't in planned and prepared presentations. It's in meetings, it's in the hallway, it's in the elevator, it's, you know, it's wherever. So there are some ways to practice. I'm just going to give you one. I've got several, but I know this is not a five hour podcast. So I'm just going to give you one that I think is the most simple and easiest, which is simply before you go into the meeting, review the meeting planner. Look at what the objective is. Look at who's going to be in the meeting and just think about what questions might they have? What gaps might they have in their knowledge? What do you know about the topic? Maybe it'll prompt you to pull up a report um, that so that you have it at your fingertips in case a question comes up or so that you can make sure people are aware of some sort of piece of data. So review it in advance and even think about practicing how you would respond if a specific question got asked right? Think about the words you would say and even practice it out loud. That can be really helpful to you because then it's top of mind in the moment. Um, So you may not be able to do that for every meeting, right? So maybe it's just sort of the bigger ones because we're often back to back and running from meeting to meeting. But what I would encourage you is, you know, those meetings that are kind of more critical and before they happen, be sure that you're really setting your intentions and understanding where you can contribute so that you're ready to do it in the moment. Love that. Uh, I think that's so important because I do think there's the two pieces, right? That people don't always consider. And I've talked to many people who are like, oh my gosh, you're so good at just coming up with stuff and saying it. Like, well, this has been years and years of practice. <laughs> like I don't expect you, nor does anyone else expect you to have that down pat yet, right? But it is practice. And I love the idea of planning ahead because that is kind of a secret weapon, right? To have that ready to go so that you look like you're just coming up with it, but you've already spent time thinking about it. And that makes such a difference. Any, any advice you would have for like leaders of teams in how they should start to think about communicating in a more direct way, more effectively, so that their teams can really operate in a stronger way? So I think when you work in a team, it's important to really be thoughtful about your people practices in terms of what are your what cadences make sense, what are the purposes of those meetings and and take the time to do that not just when the team is forming or when you're first joining the team, but on a regular basis. So look through, okay, we've got, we do an all hands call. Like what is the purpose? Like, what is that about? Okay. That's about making sure we're communicating the vision and we're recognizing people and those kind of like, that's the purpose of that meeting. And then do I have a place where we debate things and what does that look like? Um, so, so really kind of being intentional about what those routines are and making sure that people know what those routines are about so that they can participate in in the way that's intended. Yeah, it's about setting kind of the guidelines or how we're going to work together or how we're going to communicate and where those conversations are most appropriate to happen because sometimes people will say stuff in a meeting that makes no sense <laughs> for that, you know, venue or audience mm-hmm. and then you have some challenges, right? It makes it a little awkward. So I love all that. Anything else that you share with people all the time from a communication standpoint that would be good for the audience to hear? Soft skills are the hardest thing we do at work. So, you know, people call them soft skills and I've, I've learned to embrace that phrase. Um, but 
But the reality is soft skills are the hardest thing we do at work, but they are skills and skills get better with practice. I think it's tempting to assume that those people that do it well are just naturals, but there's no such thing. And so if you want to get better, the easiest way to do that is to pay attention to everything around you, what's working, what's not working, and create your own mini experiments to improve yourself. Like you're not going to go to some workshop and all of a sudden be an expert at communication and soft skills and leadership and conflict and all of these things. It's going to happen on the job and it's going to happen by trying new things, paying attention to what happens, adjusting and doing it again and again. So you can really accelerate your growth. The great news is you can do this at any time with the meetings that are already on your calendar this week, right? You can practice that tip about preparing for your meeting, the very next meeting that you have after listening to this podcast. And so it, it it's great. It does require your active energy and participation to do it though. Yes. That may be the challenging part for people to think about. It feels overwhelming. So I love that we're sharing some practical, easy things for people to try right now. And you're right. I think um, you're coming out in a few weeks. So when this podcast comes out, you know, people can start to leverage those ideas that you shared today, the SBI, on feedback and planning for a meeting in advance. I think it's so much more simple than people make it sometimes. Yeah, well, and let me share. So I am um, a TikTok creator and I'm also on Instagram Reels. I'm at ko.communication. And if you want an idea of a simple strategy to try this week, you can just go down the rabbit hole of all of these like <laughs> mini ideas of little micro improvements you can make and just pick a couple to, to try. Yes, she's amazing. So definitely follow her. I follow her and I've learned a lot myself just by watching what she does and you get to see her in action. So I love that. Okay, I'm going to transition us into the four questions that I ask every person who's on the podcast called the Rise Up and Be Visible Quick Tips. So the first one, visibility is, I would like you to fill in the blank and then tell me why you answered that way. Hmm a requirement for success. So I think people don't realize that it's not enough to do good work. People have to actually see you <laughs> in order for it to make uh, make a, an impact on your success. Yeah. What are you doing to be visible? I do a lot to be visible, um, for sure. Virtual coffee, we've already talked about that. But there's one other thing, because I know sometimes people are a little introverted and they don't like the one-on-one -on -one conversation is a little weird to them. Here's another tip that doesn't involve like human interaction that you could start doing today, which is to summarize a work product and send a note to people about what happened. So corporate environments have so much information floating everywhere, and you can't expect that people will remember the launch date for your product feature or whatever it is that you're working on that was happening. And so what I've found is creating a simple email and in the body 
describing what it was that launched, who, it, why we did it, who it impacted, who were the team members that helped along the way, an opportunity for recognition, and sending that to stakeholders across a group just to say, hey, this thing happened. Um, I, it, people rail against that idea because they feel like it seems too self-promote-y, but that's not what it is at all. It's, it's bringing forward something that people might not remember otherwise, right? So it's creating visibility, but it's also reminding people of the work that's going on and the success that we're having and, and recognizing the team. So that's what I would say is maybe a little tip on what I've done to be visible through the years. Yeah, I love that because they're so, like managers are so busy, right? There's so many things they're dealing with. And so I call it putting a movie reel in front of them, right? So that just a little highlight reel of things I'm working on this week or things that I've accomplished or the team has done. It's it just helps them think about you, right? And when they may not be thinking about you. So I love that. What is the best leadership or career advice you've received? Okay, so in the category of visibility, the advice that I got early on was you are a brand. And I hadn't thought of it that way, but this came up from a very funny story. I was in a a full day meeting with a large-ish group of people. I'm going to say maybe like 30, 40 people. And we were in this big conference room together. And someone from our group (laughs) spent a portion of the meeting eating pistachios, like shelling pistachios and eating them. And there's just shells like all over the place. And that was a little weird. And then he seemed to fall asleep in the meeting. Like, no joke. He was kind of like, I don't know, his his chin was down and his eyes were closed. And I'm like, is he sleeping? Like, what is happening? And it's a huge meeting and he didn't have a speaking part. And it was kind of something where people were presenting. So he wasn't like in the spotlight, quote unquote. But after that meeting, my boss at the time said, look, you are a brand. Even when you're not on the agenda, people can notice how you're showing up and they'll make decisions about you. So think of yourself like Coca-Cola. Every time someone encounters you, you're going to either leave them with a, a favorable or an unfavorable oppression. So how what are you going to do to show up in a way that's favorable, even when you're not in the spotlight? Wow, that is a great example. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, I've definitely, and I've had people react in a not so positive way in meetings where they're yelling or upset. And, you know, that's creating a, an impression too. And like, it's just every, I call it like every interaction you have is an opportunity for visibility, positive or negative, right? So thinking about that. Like people notice when you sit up front in the, in the big meeting auditorium, right? People notice when you're willing to turn on your camera in the big meeting. And not everybody loves doing that because you can feel like you're in a fishbowl if you're just sitting there in the meeting. But people notice that because the system prioritizes those people and you show up at the top of the list. So it's all just things to think about. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. And last question, what is a book that you would recommend that you have read lately that you loved? Okay. I usually point people to how to win friends and influence people, but that's Mm. not a book that I've read recently. But if you haven't read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, it's 85 years old. The stories are all old timey and weird, but the foundational outline of how to win friends and influence people is gold and as accurate as it was the year it was produced. So I always recommend that one. But 
more recently, I read a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and I'd like to recommend it because it's told through a story. So it's a fictitious story about a team, and that made it a super easy read, like you could read it in a day or two. And it really describes some of the most common ways that teams break down and you know, not no surprise communication is a big one that's in there. But I, I really liked that book. And I think it's one that probably is mostly read by like HR practitioners and development consultants and things like that. But I actually think would be really valuable for anyone who is leading or working in a team. Yeah, I love that book too. And especially when you're coming into a new team, right, where you've got a lot of strong personalities, a lot of history of things that have happened and trying to understand kind of how you want to take over the team and in the best way, help them move forward and and work together, probably more effectively for sure, but also in ways that help empower them in a bigger way as well. Well, I wish we could talk for, you know, four more hours, Christy, I really do. And luckily I get to talk to you uh, more often, but I love everything that you're doing. And for sure, I hope everyone will follow you on your channels on social media because you do offer a ton of value and you're helping people start to see the importance of communication in a better way and not to see it as something that's hard, something that's scary. You can do it in easy ways and and really help you stand out in a bigger way. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Sue. It was so fun. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining today on the Visibility Factor podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor Podcast.